Hello, and welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast for Edgewood Church in Danville, Illinois. This week at Edgewood. I'm going to pray before I go any further because this is so important that we understand this true historical event. Heavenly Father, God, I just want to pray now for all those in this room. Lord, I ask now before I jump fully into what I hope you've prepared for us today. God, I pray now that your spirit would be provided to us today, that you would help me to know what to say, how to say it. God, I pray that you'd be with hearts that are here. Help them be ready to listen and to hear and to understand. God, I ask that the end result today would be a day, not just where we honor and remember that you rose from the grave, Lord, today might be a day that we hear that truth and understand it and believe it. I pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. See, if this guy really did, was born, lived, died, but then came back, and in the process had claimed to be God, and then also in the process, what if he, in the midst of all those things, and especially after he was resurrected, he said, this is for you, would you not want to take heed to what he said? In fact, he specifically said that just before he died, and I love that he did it with food. Just before he died, he had some bread, and he was with his closest followers, and he said, this bread is my body, which is for you. This cup is my blood that I'm going to shed for you. Keep doing this in remembrance of me. If this is true, that this one who died and rose again offered at least the idea that we could be included in this resurrection, would we not consider that to be good news? In fact, wouldn't you think that would be the good news of all the planet? I mean, we get lots of good news all the time. We get a lot of bad news. But would not this be the good news? In fact, that's what those early Christians called it. They called it the gospel. That word gospel means good news. And this is the good news. If, if this is true, that somebody died and came back and then said, you can be part of this, you go, man, that's some good news. Because I know right now that we are all acquainted with death. It's coming. So I'm going to be really honest with you today. I'm going to give you two options that I hope every single person in this room walks away with today. Option number one. You might be here today, and maybe, and I don't know, because I don't, some of you, I don't know. I have no idea. You might hear, be here today, and maybe you're not a true follower of this Jesus. You've heard about him. You know some things about him. But you've never come to that place where you say, I'm, I'm, I'm all in with this guy. I don't want to beat around the bush here. I'm hoping that if that's you and you're here today and you're not a true believer, a true follower, I'm hoping that you walk out of here today a changed person. I know that that's not going to happen because I have these super eloquent words. I have plenty of former students here today, both sides of the room, uh, that could attest to that fact. Eloquence, not always my thing. I'm hoping that you walk out of here today a believer, believing in this. Option number two, 
Some of you in this room today, and I know some of you personally, that I, I believe this is absolutely true. You're here today. You're a believer. You're a follower of Jesus. You put all of your eggs in this basket, all of your Easter eggs in the Easter basket. I hope that today, because I know some of you struggle with taking this good news and knowing how to share it with others. How do I convey this? And so I'm hoping today that one of these two options, either today you're going to hear it and you're going to walk out of here a believer, but if you're already a believer, you're going to walk out of here today with a good little way to remember, how can I share this good news? I'm going to do this today with a story. Okay, not an actual story that I'm going to tell, but I'm going to use the word story to help you remember and ingrain this in your minds. Now, I want you to know, visitors, I don't normally do this, have like, okay, we're going to have this point here with this point here. This is a little bit out of my typical way I handle these things, but I want you to remember. So the teacher in me right now is, has come up with a way, and I say, okay, I want you to remember this when you walk out of here. So let's start with the first part of this story. This one. This is my story, by the way. What do, we, what do I mean by sinner? You guys know the word sin means to miss the mark. That's literally what it means. It means to miss the mark. It's like an archer that pulls back, aims, and instead of hitting the bullseye, he's a little bit off. Miss the mark. God, our creator and sustainer, has laid out how we ought to live. Have you done that? I want to see just for a moment if you can join in with me to think about, are you also a sinner? I'm telling you right now, I am. I know I am. Are you? Some of you are going, yes, right here. <laughs> okay, so I don't want to have a lot of work to do here, but, but let's really dig into this because I think there's something important that can happen as we think about this. So let's start with some basics here. You ever heard of the uh, Ten Commandments? Let's start with these for just a moment, shall we? Now, you can cheat and read them because I, I, I grabbed some tablets that were, like, actually has them written up there. But uh, I was going to say, hey, could anybody name a few of them? But they're all up there, so that's not going to work. Let's start with some basics here. I'm going to skip down that list. Anybody ever steal anything before? Okay, now, this is not like your typical church. You're going to raise your hand. Anybody ever stole anything? Just be honest. Some of you are like... Yeah, to be a little proud about that. You're like, yeah, this morning. No, I hope that's not the case. Um, stole anything? Relied? Yeah. If you don't have your hand up, that's your second one. Mm-hmm. Please don't raise your hand for the next one. Have you ever killed anybody? Please don't tell me if you're late. Commit adultery. Let's add some clarifications in there, shall we? I want you to consider Jesus' words when he was here. He said this in his most famous of sermons, the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, he says this. You've heard that it, it, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. Yeah, I've heard that. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Absolutely. But listen to what Jesus says after that. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, literally, that means you empty-headed idiot, will be liable to the hell of fire. That's Jesus. 
Or how about this one, just a couple verses later, a little bit further in his sermon, he says, you've heard that it was said you should not commit adultery. But I say to you, this is going to fly in the face of some uh, Danville prophets right here. There are some Danville prophets that I've heard them say. I, I'm saying that mockingly. You can look, but you can't touch. You ever heard that one? Is that what Jesus says? I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Guilty. Sinner. And this law that we might think, man, if I could just be a good person, the more you actually dig into the law and what it says and what it means, the more you do that, the more you start walking away going, ah, this is not helping my case. Paul the Apostle understood this. Paul, who started off as Saul, understood this very clearly. He says this in 1 Corinthians, or I'm sorry, in Romans 7. He says, What then shall we say? That the law is sin? I understand what he's saying. He's saying, maybe the law has missed the mark. Maybe it's too much. Right? Shall we say that the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, think about what Paul is saying here. Man, this is so, so true. If it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. See, some of you were thinking you were pretty good, and you walked in. I started laying out some of these things. You're like, well, I've done that. I've done that. And I thought it was clear of that one, but I've done that one. Every guy in the room was like, oh, I can't even look. <laughs> okay. Do you see what Paul's saying here? The law, see, when you start digging into what it means, suddenly you go, I'm guilty. I'm guilty. And then he throws this one in. He says, I would not have known what it is to covet. See, that's the last commandment. A lot of people don't like to hit on that one. You mean, I can't even look at what other people have and go, man, I wish that was mine? No. And what does Paul say? I would not have known what it is to covet if the law hadn't said don't covet. But sin, Paul says, seizing an opportunity through the commandment produced in me all kinds of covetousness. I think there's two things happening here. One, it's kind of like when I say, don't touch the red button. And now I really want to touch the red button, right? What if we would have put those donuts out there and said, don't eat any donuts when you walked in. I had a little sign, do not eat donuts. Thou shalt not eat donuts. <laughs> you guys, with some of you that were like, I don't need one. Some of you would have seen that sign and be like, I'm eating one now. <laughs> what does the law do? In us, if we're honest. See, apart from the law, sin lies dead, Paul says. And he goes on, I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive, and I died. And the very commandment that promised life, if I could just be a good person, the very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. The sinner. And the sin never forget, is ultimately against our God. The creator and sustainer, as I said a moment ago, said this is how you ought to be, and this is how you ought to live. And we, see, we read some of those things, and what's the big deal? The big deal is we've said we've committed high treason, ultimately. You might be God, but I'm going to do what I want to do. 
I want to do what I want. And nobody's going to tell me different. That brings me to my second point. Trial. I'd like you to consider two things when I think about trial. Okay? The two things I want you to consider are innocence and greatness. Okay? Let's say, for example's sake, I was walking down the streets of Covington. Did this happen in Covington? My Covington people would say, no, um, whatever. Um, that's why. Uh, let's say wherever I'm at, somebody busts in my home and I see this guy. And let's say in a moment of bravery, I knock that guy's gun out of his hand and I just clock him right in the face. Boom. And he goes down. And now I don't even stop there. I'm like, he's down. And I just go, come into my house, will you? And I jump on top of him. And I, right? I might even be a hero. But what if we change the situation a little bit? Let's say instead of somebody with a gun, say it's my friend. Right? Sitting at the coffee shop with your buds. You just turn around and go, how are you doing today? And they go, oh, fine, okay. And you just go, right in the face. <laughs> what, what was that for? Right? Let's change it a little bit more. Say it's an innocent bystander just walking down the street. Hey, how's it going? And you just go, hey, I'm doing pretty good. How are you? Oh, boom, right in the face. You're like, what is wrong? Don't you think there might be some criminal charges brought up against you? This guy was walking down the street. Let's increase it a little bit. And I think that what's going to happen, the more you think, the more innocent the victim is, the one sinned against, the more innocent they are, we just naturally start to think, man, the, the, the consequence ought to be elevated. And so I'm going to blow your minds right now because I want you to really think about this. Let's, let's increase it to an extreme. Oh, my goodness. Matt, you're not going to say it, are you? Well, what if? Little baby. And, and I walked up, Pastor Matt, and he saw me. I'm like, oh, look at the little baby. And look at Pastor Matt, look at the baby. And all of a sudden, Pastor Matt went, <gasps> boom! Oh, see, nobody's laughing because you're like, what? <laughs> you wouldn't even need the law. You guys would take me outside and hang me up, wouldn't you? But do you see what happens here? With innocence, what do we automatically start to do when they're, when they're sinned against? What do we automatically do? The, the consequence increases in our head and the, the heinousness of the crime explodes. God is infinitely innocent of all sin. And who have we sinned against? God. Let me take a different direction. Let's go back to medieval times. There I am as a peasant with my peasant friends. Now, medieval times, and I had to go back to medieval times because even though there's some truth to this today, I think it is just shown so clearly if I think back to those days. Let's say you got a couple peasants, and one of the peasants looks at the other peasant and say, says, maybe with that look on their face, man, you're an idiot. I'm going to kill you. Right? Maybe even just jokingly. Eh. You know, pull the knights in. Hey, knights, uh, he insulted me. So what? You're a peasant, you know. Uh, wouldn't go very far. But what if it's a king? And what if it's not just any old king? What if it was a, a, a King David or a King Solomon? A, a great king. A good king. A king loved by the people. 
you insult the king or threaten the king, automatically the consequences increase. See, innocence and greatness increase the heinousness of the crime. And who is our God? Ultimately, infinitely innocent. Ultimately, infinitely great and majestic. I say this because many look at the sins that they've committed and they say, what's the big deal? The big deal isn't those things. It's who you've sinned against. The ultimately good, infinitely great God. And you've said, I don't care, God, what you say. I'm going to do life my way. Some would then say, okay, I'm starting to get that. God, that's how you picture God. Grandpa God. Right? Good old Grandpa God. Doesn't matter what I do. Good old Grandpa God. He goes, oh, it's okay. They're just kids. Take a quarter. You know? You're all right. But there's an issue here at stake. Because the God that we serve is not Grandpa God. The Bible tells us he's the judge of all the earth. Most people acknowledge this automatically. When they decide to do whatever they want, what do they say? Well, only God will judge. That ought to cause you to rethink maybe what you're doing. If in the courthouses here in Danville... Let's say you had a judge that every time a criminal came up, the judge just said, you know what, I'm a, it's, a, it's okay, I'll let you off. And then he did it again. At some point, as a community, we would say, this judge is not good. I mean, it seemed really nice that he was, but this guy here, he... He, he murdered my neighbor that I loved. And this judge is, look, that's not a good judge. And God is a good judge. And so there's this issue that we have to deal with because we think we're sinners. If we were to go to trial, where are we going to stand? Guilty. And the sins that we've committed, the crimes we've committed, have been against the ultimately, infinitely good God. I'm going to throw this word in there. There's an obstruction. And I'm going to leave it at that for just a moment because we have to ask ourselves, is it an obstruction of justice or is it going to be an obstruction of compassion? And I want you to consider this for just a moment. There was a man named Moses. Have you heard of Moses? Okay, Moses. Moses, in fact, right in connection with the giving of the Ten Commandments, Moses, and I think, looking at the commands and looking at what's going on, he said to God, he said, show me who you are. Now, there's been very few that have been able to even ask that of God. And God but God did it for Moses. He, he said, I'm going to show you who I am. But he does it in a way that may seem odd to us. When he reveals himself to Moses, it's not just about, hey, look, and this is what God looks like. In fact, it's it, because nobody could do that ultimately and live. But what does he do? He gives him a glimpse from the shelter of a rock. But then what, what does God do? He, he, he then, as he shows himself to Moses, he makes a pronouncement. This is so important because this is going to reveal... I mean, this is God talking about who He is. 
This isn't about me telling you what God's like. This is going to be a case where Moses is recording. He said, this is what God said. When I said, show me what you like, this is what God said. Listen, listen to this. It says, the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there, being Moses, and proclaimed the name of the Lord. Now, in your Bibles, when it's all caps like that, it's using God's actual name, Jehovah, Yahweh. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed. Okay, so he makes a pronouncement of himself. The Lord. The Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression, and sin. But who will by no means clear the guilty? I hope that you're feeling the what to us would feel like a conundrum, a quandary. Well, how then if he's gracious and compassionate and forgiving, but he will by no means, because he is a good judge, clear the guilty. That leaves us in a difficult situation. I don't want to suggest at all that God ever had for himself a moral quandary. For God, this was not an obstruction of justice or an obstruction of his compassion. God had a plan where his mercy and his justice could meet, or some theologians say, when mercy and justice would kiss. And that's pictured in the cross of Christ. So let's move on past obstruction to redemption. How will God unite these two extremes? As I said, this is where Jesus comes in. Born as a human, but God in the flesh lived from birth to death a completely pure and righteous life. Never once breaking any of those commands. The only one that it could ever be said, good. The only one. He was accused falsely. Then he goes to the cross, a shameful, humiliating death. The death of a traitor. And if you think back to where we've been with our sin, is that not what we deserve? He dies the death of a traitor, and he was definitely dead, executed. No doubt about this historical event. There are two ancient sources, even outside of the Bible, that attest to the crucifixion of this person, Jesus. If you don't know much about history, um, that may not seem like a lot, but there's more historical evidence for Jesus than there is for any other historical figure dating back to that time period, without a doubt. I'm going to throw this in here, and I'll bring it up later if you ever have questions. I'm a believer. See, I'm a, I'm a math teacher. I like cold, hard truth. I like things to be shown and displayed and proved to me. I need to see if it fits together and makes sense. I want to tell you right now today that I'm a believer in this Jesus, not 
stupidly. At least I hope not. My mother-in-law might disagree. I believe because when you dig into this, the more you dig, the more you see, man, this is true. There are things that I could tell you today, and if I had time, that are, I would say, mathematically inconceivable that they could have happened the way they did. There are some historical records of this that date back to within months, which is unheard of in history. Date back to within months of Christ's crucifixion. The earliest sources will even go on to cite witnesses. We have one record of those passed on in the scriptures themselves, but this is going to be a quote that Paul the Apostle is actually quoting something earlier. It's a creed that those earliest Christians, within weeks, they believe, of Christ's crucifixion and resurrection, began to say this creed. It come, we can see it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3. It says, uh, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. So then he's going to quote this creed. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with Scriptures, and that He appeared, He says next, now this is, this is where it gets mind-boggling, this ancient creed that Paul is quoting goes on to say, there's witnesses. Check them out. Don't believe blindly. You can, you can, you can ask. He says, then he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter the apostle, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive. In other words, you can still ask them, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and all the apostles. They're witnesses. Don't believe this based on hearsay. I can, I can say I don't think there's one belief system on this planet that is more scrutinized and yet more open to scrutiny than the Bible. Paul actually goes on after this, and I love a couple things he says. There's three things he says after this. He says this. Uh, he says, if Christ had not been raised, in other words, if this isn't actually true, he says, if Christ had not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. I mean, and that's true. If I'm up here preaching to you about this, Jesus, if he didn't actually literally die and raise again, this is pointless, what I'm doing right now. Like, who the flip cares why I would be up here talking about that? If, unless it's true. Paul says, and if Christ had not been raised, your faith is futile, and you're still in your sins. And finally, he says this. He says, if, if in Christ we have hope in this life only... I, and I love this. This is 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 19. He says, if, if in Christ we have hope for this life only. In other words, if, if Christianity is just to make this life better, Paul says this. He says, we are of all people most to be pitied. That makes absolute sense because think about all the things that you decide to give up when you decide to be a Christian. Forsaking these old ways and turning to Christ and we're trying to believe and follow after Him and, and do the things that He taught us to do. We're trying to live this way. Well, if He didn't actually raise from the dead, people should be pitying us. And some people do, do they not? Oh, you poor Christians. You don't know the fun you're missing out on. Well, you know what? If Christ hadn't raised from the dead, they're absolutely right. But we get up here and we preach a Christ that we believe is raised and we believe that this is true. 
God had this plan to save sinners. Like I said, He had it from before time. He set it into motion ages past. There's a very beautiful picture of Christ's crucifixion that was actually written 700 years before it happened. In Isaiah chapter 53, the prophet Isaiah describes this Christ being crucified 700 years before it happened. Before the Roman Empire was a thing. Before crucifixion was a means of death. In fact, if you go back even earlier than that, about a thousand years before Jesus, Psalm 22 that David wrote describes uh, his hands and his feet being pierced. Crucifixion wasn't even a thing. It hadn't been invented yet. People weren't that diseased in their heads to have come up with the worst way you could die yet. But yet, a thousand years before Christ was crucified, Psalm 22 talks about this Jesus and his hands and his feet are pierced. We look back at him and go, well, that's Jesus. They looked at it and they said, what, what does this mean until he came? And then they knew. Our sin has been imputed to Christ. I love that in scriptures there are legal terms to describe the transaction of the cross. It's kind of like when you say, hey, if you're going to do this, you've got to do it right to make sure nothing ever comes back. You ever had that thought before? That's precisely what God has done. Christ came to this earth, lived a righteous life. He then offers this transaction. He says, my righteousness, I would, and the Bible uses this word, impute to you. Your sin will then be imputed to me. And that's what happened on the cross. That's why when Jesus died, he said, it is is finished. It's been paid for. It's done. The gavel then hammers down. And the Bible uses the word justification. You have been justified. But now I need to get to this final part of my word. You. What does this have to do with you? How do you fit into this? What is God's plan for incorporating and enacting this transaction? Because I will tell you right now that the Bible never leads us to believe that this is just, don't have to worry about it. It's for every single human being. Uh, nobody's going to go to hell because the person that talks about hell more than any other is that same Jesus who made a way to escape from that hell. So what's the way? Is it our goodness? Good people go to heaven? Bad people don't. I hope that you might be sitting here thinking, I hope that's not the case because I wouldn't qualify. Would anybody? No. So what's the way? I'm going to end with this. Paul the Apostle writes, For by grace, what grace is, Grace is unmerited, unearned, undeserved favor. How are we saved? By grace. How is it depicted in our lives? Through faith. I love that it goes on to say, and this is not your own doing, it's a gift of God. Not of works. Not a result of works. Why? So that no one may boast. When we stand before him on that judgment day and God says he's ready to bring the gavel down, guilty, as we rightly deserve. And Christ steps up and he says, 
paid for. We will know that wasn't me. Jesus' own words, and I know you've heard this one before. And I've got to be honest. I, I stop on this verse here because I think, man, this, this just pictures it so well. And I know that everybody's heard it before, but I just want you to listen to it afresh. Because when you listen to it, you sit there and you go, is it really that simple? Yeah. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever does what, what's it say? Beliefs. Should not perish because they're guilty of sin. They have eternal life. It's that simple. In just a moment, I'm going to have, uh, you're going to bring that up? I mentioned at the beginning of the message, and you can go ahead and bring it up right now if you want, that Jesus illustrated that this was for you with food. Right? With food. And so the thing that Jesus said, hey, let's do this to remember that this is for you, um, we have continued doing. Let me take that for you. Now, see, there were so many visitors today, we, we, had, to, we had to stock up. That's okay. There's enough in here. Okay, I'm off script. There's enough in here for everybody to have some. I think that picture is exactly what I'm trying to convey to you today. God's grace is for you. Whatever reason why you came into this building today, I don't care. I hope that when you walk out of here today, you at least know this truth. Christ died on the cross as a righteous one to save sinners like you, like me. And all I have to do is say, okay, I believe. Put my faith in you. Put my hope in you. That's it. 